Hello, my name is Stephen Mullen and I work in the Kids Hospital in Belfast and today we're going to chat a little bit about um, paediatric burns. So the overarching theme for this is essentially to do the basic things well as I think that's really important for these type of injuries. We're going to discuss the fundamental principles of assessing burns injuries and then talk a little bit about minor injuries, focus on the evidence behind burns first aid before progressing on to major burns and at the end we'll discuss briefly uh, the considerations you need to have for non-accidental injury in these children. So it's really important that we know how we assess a burn as this has implications for how we manage the injury in the department in order to give parents information in terms of about the time it might heal and also for who else we might need to be involved in looking after these children. So we need to be aware of what patients we're likely to see. So this is an epidemiological study published in 2014 by Kemp and colleagues, which shows what we would usually expect in the A&E department, that the majority of burns have a low TBSA or total body surface area, less than 1%, and they're more common in the under threes, and this is part of their developmental process where they're exploring their environments. By far and away the most common injuries we see are skulls and contact burns and this is what the to uh, our talk will focus on. Radiation burns, chemical injuries um, and flames are thankfully less common and most of the first aid is essentially the same apart from chemical burns. At this time of year we'll have just encountered Halloween um, and bonfires festivities when we usually see an increase in presentations as a result of fireworks or other burn injuries. So it's important that we're up to date and know how to manage these wounds. So the first thing we'll talk about is the depth of the burn. And this is a key part of your assessment. So this is a table that I've taken from the International Best Practice Guidelines, which are an excellent free online resource, given a really good synopsis for the management of pretty much all burns in pediatrics and adults. Contrary to our American cousins, instead of using a first to third degree burns classification, we define it more anatomically. And if we start at both ends of the spectrum, I think it's the easiest way. So you think of your superficial burn, which essentially looks like a sunburn. So the skin will be red, there should be no or minimal blistering. It will be painful and it'll blanch really easily. And this means that only the superficial layer of the skin or the epidermis has been affected. At the other end of the scale, we've got a full thickness burns. So this has gone through your epidermis, your dermis, and into your subcutaneous tissue. So these burns will be white, they'll be charred. Because you've damaged the nerve fibers, they most likely will not be in any huge discomfort and it's certainly not painful to touch. Whenever you put some pressure on it, it doesn't blanch, it remains white. And in between these areas, we've got our partial thickness burns, which are subclassified into superficial and deep, both of which are applicable to the other two classifications with your superficial being a little bit red, usually incredibly painful, may have extensive blistering with your deep partial thickness starting to get that white appearance. So this shows a good picture diagram of what you might expect. So this is not a minor injury, um, but you can see the whiteness that's associated with the full thickness burns associated there. You can see your deep partial thickness burns and then the little bit of erythema around it, more in keeping with your superficial partial thickness burns. So now we've looked at the depth of the wound, the next thing to consider is the size. And this has huge implications in terms of making onward refleur, if you need to get IV access to start fluid rehydration, and also when you're discussing with your local burns or plastics team. 
There are multiple different ways in which we can measure this. So you can use the principle that 1% of the child's hand, or the hand of the child equates to 1% of the child's TBSA. Or you can use the London Bowder chart. So both of them are absolutely fine. The one I tend to use more now is Emergy Burn App. So this is a free online resource that you can get from any of the app stores and it works incredibly well. It's really simple, you put in the weight and the age of the child, you shade in the area of partial thickness or deep full thickness burns, and that'll give you a percentage. So just like all other burns, when you're managing the size, you ignore the superficial erythema. This will also give you some advice on, on fluid resuscitation. This app has been validated, and certainly in my practice, it seems to correlate better um, with the NTBSA that's generated by our plastic surgeons. So having talked about the assessment of these um, burn injuries, we're going to talk a little bit about the management. And for this, we're going to focus specifically on superficial and partial thickness burns. An area I think that we could certainly improve on is our use of analgesic. We often see kids come into the department with acutely swollen limbs as a result of trauma, and we're very quick to get decent pain relief in early because we realise how sore these are and how much distress these children are in. Anecdotally, I feel we're probably not as good with our burn injuries. And if we're able to get decent analgesia, the one that I usually recommend is intranasal diamorphine, you can be able to de-escalate the situation and get your other treatment modalities in. So think about what analgesia you're going to give these kids and how you're going to administer it. In keeping with the theme of do the basics well, it's really important that when they come to A&E departments that we're able to do the basic burns first aid, that if it hasn't been done at home, that we should complete it in our department. Now this is a parental information um, leaflet that I was part of designing when I was working in Cardiff that coincided with a campaign called the CFT campaign to educate parents. The two aspects of this that's important to cover are the cooling mechanism, in which is just cooling cool water from a tap for 20 minutes duration. And the thing to remember is that this, this is beneficial for three hours after injury. So if they come into your A&E department at two hours and 45 minutes, you should still be putting their arm under the tap for the 20 minute time period. The other aspect to cover is the covering of these wounds. And we recommend either clean film or in some countries is known as sarin wrap. And this works incredibly well. This should occur after the burn has been cooled appropriately. This stops the burn fibers or the nerve fibers being stimulated by the air, therefore decreasing the pain felt by the patient. They're also transparent, so you don't need to remove dressings and put them on whenever you've got a senior or subspecialty that wants to look at it. And it also protects the wound from bacterial infiltration. So something really simple, but works incredibly well. Now just go into a little bit more detail about burns first aid. When you go back to basic physiology, we're talking about the Jacksonian model of injury. So whenever the injury occurred, there's a per part of that tissue that no matter what any of us does, it's dead, it's necrotic. But it's the area that surrounds it, this area of stasis, which we can potentially save. So by doing decent first aid, and by adhering to the other principles of burn management, you can potentially reduce the TBSA and the depth of these burns. Most of the information that came out of this was from animal models, particularly pork, but recently we've got, um, started to get some decent pediatric information coming through. So this study which came out of Australia at the start of this year looked retrospectively at um, 2,500 kids who attended a burns unit with an injury. And what they were looking at their primary outcome was um, skin grafting. So this is some of the results from the paper. So the key results are displayed in this forest plot. 
Anything to the right of the forest plot favours intervention. The odds ratio for skin grafting is reduced by 0.59 with the use of burns first aid, particularly cool running water. The same results are applicable for full thickness depth, hospital admission and operation room intervention. So these are really impressive results impacting how we should educate parents and what we should do when these patients enter the department. The results also appear to show that there is a correlation between the duration of first aid and the need for skin grafting. Whereas the longer you do first aid or the more you adhere to that guidelines of 20 minutes, the greater the reduction is or the lesser the need for skin grafting. Anything over 20 minutes is felt to be detrimental to the tissue and is not really recommended. An area which there has been some concerns or questions raised is the use of other agents apart from cool running water with the availability of burn spray and things like hydrogels that can be placed over the wound, particularly in a busy any department or pre-hospitally. So this was a really nice study in 2017 which assessed the use of cool running water, burn spray and a burn shield in order to look at the temperature reduction for these wounds. And if you think of why we're doing burns first aid, part of the reason is to reduce the temperature. By far and away the application of cool running water had the greatest reduction in temperature with the burn shield actually having an increase. So for me there is no real role for these in my emergency department and we thoroughly recommend just using cool running water. Dressings are really important. So most of the dressings in our departments are done by our paediatric nursing staff. This in itself will be an extensive talk. All you need to know is that the burn dressing should be easy to apply. It should be done in a sterile manner and changed after 48 hours. They should be then changed every three to five days until they're dry, usually in your A&E department with your practice nurse. In terms of the need for referral to the burns team or the plastic surgeons, there is recognised UK guidelines. Now they're a little bit older, 2012, and they're usually adapted by each burns unit. So rather than go through each of them individually, I would say look at your own burns unit and see when or what injuries they would like to see. Usually it's guided by your TBSA, the depth of the wound if it's in any special places or particularly if there's any concerns about non-accidental injury. Now, there's a few complications of wounds that we need to be aware about and whenever we're discharging these patients we need to give them good advice about the risk of uh, toxic shock syndrome particularly with the um, infiltration of staph and strep. So these can be very non-specific in the presentation. Most will have a temperature. You may see a wound that is with increasing erythema, which has discharge, but sometimes the kid may present with symptoms such as vomiting and diarrhea. So good written guidelines from your department um, will help alert the parents to this potentially serious complication, which does carry a high mortality. We also must think about the use of tetanus for these wounds. In my department, due to vaccine hesitancy, we're seeing more and more children come unvaccinated. So whenever they have a burn injury due to the risk of tetanus, we're often vaccinating them in the ED. You also need to think about the role of prophylactic antibiotics. So my department continues to use this and this is based on local case series. However, when you look at any of the international database, which still systematic reviews and meta-analysis, there really is no huge evidence base to support the use of prophylactic antibiotics in burn injuries. But again, you need to go by your own local practice. So we've discussed the management of kind of minor burn wounds, focusing on the importance of doing the basics well and ensuring that still occurs when they hit your emergency department. Now we're going to mention a few of the key principles for major burn injuries. Now thankfully these are rare events. 
there's been a huge amount that's happened over the last 20 years in terms of improved housing, change into how clothing fabric have been uh, implemented and the need for smoke alarms in home, homes that have certainly reduced the number of burns we're seeing in ED. The ones that I have seen recently are the ones who have used fire accelerants or aerosol cans um, with large flames or in bomb fires. And these are trauma patients and they should be treated as such. So you need to adjust your algorithm and remember the catastrophic hemorrhage and think of C-spine immobilization, particularly if they've jumped out of a window of a house or we've recently seen people in a tree house who've been playing with gas canisters when an explosion and have fallen quite a high height. So follow your trauma algorithm and work your way through it. So it's not only the burn injury that's gonna cause problems with the patient, but it's the physiological response to the inflammation that occurs. In adults, to say anything over 30% and in pediatrics, 10% can initiate a kind of almost cytokine storm with a release of inflammatory mediators. Now these have systemic effects. They can cause decrease in myocardial outcome. They can cause your capillaries to leak, uh, resulting in pulmonary edema. You can get pulmonary edema as well, leading to ARDS. Um, so multiple complications, which may not necessarily be due to the burn itself, but to how the body responds to it. Specifically, we need to think about the airway of this child. So if they've been in a closed space or they've come with symptoms and signs suggestive of an airway injury, you need to get anesthetics involved early. So this might be the child who has burns to their nose or the mouth, whose lips or tongue swell in a hoarse voice or is coughing up soot. And for these, you need to remember that the burn is not a static injury, but that it progresses with time. So what initially is a stable injury when they hit your emergency department, 30 to 60 minutes later, may be a very difficult to intubate patient. So get anesthetics involved early and have a discussion to what's the best place and way to manage these patients. The lungs can also be damaged. So particularly if they're in a closed space, that hot air is inhaled into the lungs, causing multiple damage. So the alveoli can leak, leading to pulmonary edema and leading on to ARDS. So you need to be thinking about getting your carboxyhemoglobin levels. You need to be thinking of getting anesthetics involved early and watching how these lungs progress. So always after B, we have C. So think of your circulation and be aware of the burns patient that comes hypovolemic early. Usually the hypovolemic shock that I've seen in burns injuries presents between six to eight hours later and the ones that come in the door with a low blood pressure, you're kind of trying to rule out any other uh, system failure. So remember there are trauma, so look for the usual places where blood may hide, the chest, the abdomen, on the floor, uh, in the head, etc. And exclude other causes before just solely attributing this as a consequence to the burn. Adjust your fluids accordingly. So if it's a trauma patient, reduce down to 10 mils per kilo, trying to save that first clot, best clot. And if it's your more traditional burns, you may think of using 20 mils per kilo. I rarely use 20 anymore. I normally just use 10 mil aliquots and reassess. For the fluid management, you need to think about your use of boluses. You need to think about the parking formula and also your maintenance of these and your maintenance fluids and monitor the urine output. So the parking formula, which we'll talk about in a second, in some, Cases may overestimate or underestimate, so you need to look at how your patient is um, doing with your fluid resuscitation. You can overshoot, which can lead to things like pulmonary edema and also uh, peripheral edema, which can put that tissue at an increased risk of ischemia. So monitor these patients closely. In terms of your Parkland formula, it's three to four mils per kilo times the total body surface area. 
and this should be divided into two halves. So the first half is given in the first eight hours. Now what's important to remember this is that this is eight hours from the moment of injury. So if they hit your emergency department at four hours, you've suddenly four hours to get your Parkland formula in if they meet the criteria. Your other uh, half should be given over the subsequent um, 16 hours. Now finally, it's not a paediatric presentation unless we discuss non-accidental injury. And this is a growing field of um, literature that I was lucky to be involved in when I was working in a previous post in Cardiff. So the literature varies in that the number of cases related to NAI from your burns patients can be anything from 3 to 20% depending on the population that you look for. A really nice paper that came out of England with Chester, which is probably 15 years old now, was able to identify that the risk or that the distribution of neglect to inflicted injuries was 9 to 1. Another paper, UK-based paper, which came from Swansea, um, looked at a burn injury under the age of three and found that by their sixth birthday, they were seven times more likely to be registered as a child in need as compared to a control group. So these injuries in young kids can be associated with long-term problems. And just as for all non-accidental injuries, if these are missed, they, they tend to increase in severity. So what can be a minor injury gets more and more significant until it does threaten morbidity and mortality. So these pictures look at the forced immersion injuries that we sometimes would see in kids who've been forced into a bath. So they usually have what's called a donut sign. So whenever you look at the, the buttocks, they've usually been pressed against the bottom of the bath. So therefore they're relatively spurred with more significant burns in the surrounding tissue. And then you also hear of the glove and stocking distribution that we would sometimes see uh, in inflicted burns when these patients have been submerged into boiling water. There are ways in which you can help pick up these cases. And again, I must say I was involved in the assessment of these two tools, so I do have a little bit of bias. But the BASAD is a burns and skulls assessment template that has been used in Cardiff and I think probably 14 or 15 a &E departments throughout the UK, which assesses burns injuries when they present to your ED. And the other one is a clinical prediction tool, the burn tool, which is to help clinicians differentiate accidental from inflicted burns. So finally, just summary, it's really important that we do the basics well. Treat the patient with decent analgesia. Remember to get burns first aid involved. If it hasn't been done at home, do it in your department. It's really simple, cool and cover the burn. And then all, for all injuries in kids, always have a suspicion of non-accidental injury. Thank you.